This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Ben Boucher-West, who is the Chief Digital Officer for Connected Curb. So, Ben, thank you very much for being here. Yeah, hey, Carl, it's a privilege to be on with you. No, no problem. Pleasure is uh, is all ours. Looking forward to to this as a EV driver myself, getting under the, the, the hood, so to speak. So, um, yeah, where we always start, Ben, is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and, and journey to date, um, if you'd be so kind. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so I'm, I'm very passionate about data, but I come from a slightly untraditional route into the industry, as I think a few of your other guests have as well. So I started in technical sales uh, with Bosch, Robert Bosch, GmbH, actually working on in-car maps and infotainment systems with uh, Renault Nissan up in the UK. So lots of time up in Sunderland dealing both hardware onto car, but then obviously all the software experience that was going in with that product. Um, was was good at that, really enjoyed it, learned a huge amount out of university um, to sort of you know, professionalize those those skills. Um, got involved with the Jaguar Land Rover account, still at Bosch, same thing, all about map-based uh, driver infotainment. And then there was this real convergence with driver assistance. And you know, while you're navigating to somewhere and driving the car, as we start to push increasingly sophisticated driver tools like adaptive cruise, cruise control, and then Land Rover started investing into their autonomous driving strategy. Uh, Bosch won a lot of business in that program, and I actually jumped across uh, to help help run it. So I worked with Jaguar Land Rover for three, four years, had a fabulous time there. And that's where I cut my teeth really in systems engineering. And I should have said I'm a product designer by background, but I was really interested then in the sort of software systems and the system experience for a user. And Land Rover moved its purchasing away from components, but system thinking. So rather than buying a radar to deliver cruise control, they were looking to procure, you know, cruise control as an experience. And uh, that was that was really uh, formative for me, thinking about sort of software uh, and control systems. 
Mm. Um, and then I actually, through that process, lots of people through the autonomous driving talk about V2X. I was going to a lot of conferences and X either wasn't there or didn't really know that they were X. Um, and it struck me as huge pressure on the car to fix a lot of transport problems, accessibility to cities, um, you know, speed sign, traffic recognition, all of that good stuff. Uh, so I got really interested in cities, how, how people move the whole transport ecosystem and rejoined Bosch to lead their automotive strategy in a, a sort of future mobility team. It was board backed, but did a lot of M&A, a lot of product product creation initiative, things like that. Uh, but really, the, the really privileged thing that job gave me was lots of exposure to the startup ecosystem. And I've I've not looked back. So I then joined Appy Way, who are sort of smart smart parking and curbside management company uh, and then obviously the whole ev topic came part of that curbside uh, management topic met connected curb through that role back in 2017 um and and uh, chris pateman jones a ceo basically trying to figure out how to work for chris for some time after that first meeting uh, and then lucky enough to join two years ago nice nice well thank you for the uh for the overview there so i guess for anyone that isn't familiar just give us the kind of high level overview as of connected curb as a business yeah so connected curb we're an ev charge point company uh but we're unique because uh, the business today design manufactures installs and operates its own charge points we're not sat on third-party hardware we, we own the hardware um we are one of the uk's fastest scaling on street curbside ev charge point companies um we've won some fabulous deals in the last 18 months which we're now installing against which put us in that position um and we're in a period of high growth now we see high adoption in our customer base um but also you know high adoption in our in our client base with typically local authorities who are, who are buying the infrastructure so companies um six years old uh backed last year by viva we had a large investment round first time we'd gone for such a significant raise and now it's all about conditioning and company ready to sort of manage that growth curve nice nice yeah exciting times exciting times um so in regards to your role and obviously the chief digital officer let's um jump into what that looks like actually day to day in a business of your size that's trying to move at the scale and pace that you're now trying to move at with the the backing yeah and it's an interesting topic right i go to various events and it's always curious to see what other cdos are doing in the role um but my role i don't uh, i share uh, a lot of the, the software responsibility in the business but i try to avoid um getting into what i call the kind of hygiene ict uh, factors so george our cto uh kindly takes care of a lot of the ict the, the sort of data protection things in our base systems what I look after is the systems that actually run our charge point estate, the mobile app that fronts them, and, and people obviously engage and get a charge. But also I have a, a, a certain amount of resource geared on you know future and what with with data and digital can we optimize our internal processes. We've been investing heavily into things like site selection, uh, but also in future, uh, what are the experiences, what are the services that we need to build? And for EV, that means a lot around how is your energy managed coming through to the car and also a lot of the tariffs and the sort of dynamic tariffs to make sure that you're paying a fair and transparent rate and not locked in sort of a, a flat binary rate. Our whole ethos at Connected Curb is to try and offer the all the agility that people are enjoying at home in a home charger on their private driveway, but on street and in the public domain. And there's lots of basic things like the VAT rate is different. You pay 20% on the street, but also today you're you're locked from those sort of real agile tariffs. And that's what we're we're interested in in the future. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned at the top of the conversation, I'm a, a EV driver myself and um 
it's a very interesting landscape because obviously we, I think publicly, we know it's the right thing to do, right? In fact, from a sustainability standpoint, and that's definitely the future. Um, but my experience thus far is given where the industry is at, there's certain challenges that are, are still kind of very prevalent. So um, we're, <laughs> we are, as a family, this summer, um, going to go to France for a couple of, of weeks and we've opted to drive um obviously on in in the uh in the electric audi and and you find yourself now having to think about things that before you just wouldn't have to think about right like okay well where's the charge points how how fast are this so that we've not you know we're not sat in a car for four hours with two screaming kids and and things like that so um it's interesting that we're now getting to this point and obviously um some of the stuff you've outlined there is obviously part and parcel of of that conversation right yes yeah yeah um so let's kick us off then obviously the the ev landscape it's it's everywhere it's growing there's so many different facets to it but i guess give us a bit of insight into something around the landscape that people might not necessarily know yeah yeah and i i I love that when we're talking offline about this so i think for me um one of the things i see in a lot of the media and it's getting less but it's been a real barrier for people's entry into sort of the ecosystem is an obsession with range and, and the old range anxiety. What I think and, and what we're actually observing through users is a kind of assurance of charge and the convenience around it. So it's less around, can I get there now? You know, what's the battery range on the car? But it's, as you described with your, your coming holiday, it's the trip I'm trying to make and the convenience of the charging behaviors around that trip or the week ahead of me um, that is actually the topic of conversation. If I'm once people have adopted EV, they're really looking for, will the kit work when I get there? I've got that assurance of charge. I've got that confidence in that network that they've got great uptime, something we're really proud of, our own uptime, but that people can come on and get a charge. But then it's the convenience. Do I want to sit in the car and wait? Is that convenient to me? Do I want to charge while I sleep? And we think that's the most convenient. We do the residential charging piece. You need to charge for three, six hours on a you know 22 kilowatt charger. Do it while you're asleep. Do it while you're at work. You know, there's long dwell, longer dwell activities we think offer the most convenience than driving out of town to a rapid and having to spend any amount of time with the car, drinking a coffee you didn't need uh, while you wait for it to to recharge. So yeah. I, I'm I'm I always try to sort of get, move the topic on now to convenience now. Yeah, hundred percent. That makes uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, so let's bring it back to to data then, given kind of yeah. the nature of, of the <clears throat> podcast. In your opinion, what what role is data not only playing in the kind of EV landscape, and especially from your perspective in terms of the the products and service that that you offer, but I guess more thinking about sustainability and, and the whole topic around that as a whole. I yeah, I, I think data is everywhere, and I think it's data where the answers are. Of course, CDL would say that, but the reason is I think you've got um, you know there's still dinosaurs out there having one last roar at the comment uh, to quote a, a sort of succession quote there um and they're all you know it, it's greenwashing and what have you it, i'm not going to get into that today but there's so much evidence there's so much data out there now that can build a very easy argument very very quickly as to the benefits 
But then you also see how data is being used to plan an EV estate in local authority. You can see how data is being used to offer you know, price parity across all the different networks. Um, the whole ecosystem is is exhausting the capability of the the data available across it um, to to offer you know, the best solutions for consumers, the environment, and also the businesses that are going to deliver this. But I think what's also really interesting is not only the the data used within its own ecosystem such as EV, but that real convergence we're starting to see. We're, we're talking to the EV manager, parking managers, transport planners, um, all of the ESG credentials we can unlock. We've got some exciting announcements later this year around where data is being repurposed to find its own monetary value in completely other revenue streams, you know, separate to our, our sort of core swim lane. These are all data-backed propositions. So um, I, my view is data is the glue that, that hands all of this together and will deliver the, the transition to a reduced carbon environment. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, we know that you can't give us specifics, but are there any kind of high level use cases in terms of where you're you know, using data internally that's been you know, really successful in the success you've had so far? Yes. Um, I, th- I think the one I'm I'm most proud of with with the team today is our site selection tool. Um, so it's something we've, we've, we've partnered with an AI company to understand how we can repurpose actual utilization into future network planning. And again, this is, you know, there's a lot of myth busting that's gone on, but we now have some very sophisticated models in the business that basically en- enable you to put a pin on the UK's uh, geography and we can rank it in terms of its potential utilization uh, make recommendations around the type of install you know should this have a tro would it need a parking sensor because it's predicting high icing which is when a combustion vehicle blocks an ev charge point um so that is something where we've um you know the trendy term i think is dog fooding where we've we've repurposed uh, our own data asset and some of our own software into a product that is helping really quite advanced statistical uh, analysis on the future deployment of charge points and that goes straight back into the boardroom this is how we can de-risk any investment that's made by the business in terms of infrastructure mm-hmm. and potentially longer term may also have a revenue stream if it's something we can monetize everyone's grappling with the millennial old question it used to be where do you build your castle where do you get your drinking water now it's where do you put your charge point <laughs> <laughs> yeah Absolutely. I guess in terms of partnerships, there seems, uh, and this is just me thinking out loud here, Ben, which often lands me in hot water, but um, I guess where there seems like there's opportunity for businesses like yours to kind of delve into some interesting partnerships with the data that you will have and collect as you continue to build and, and grow, right? What, what does what does that landscape look like for you potentially? Yeah. Um, again, there's lots. There's lots of options. There's some some things I think are quite near term, which I also won't touch on today. But I think one of the one of the sort of social good that we should do as a business is understand what of our data sets adds value and helps the mass transition. And I always think of the old payments analogies. Some of the activities you know Visa and Mastercard make in removing coins and hard hard currency to move an electric currency they won't win all of the new transactions but they've just grown their market and i talk about this quite a bit certainly internally is where we can take things like utilization data and inform central government on what we're actually seeing you know you've put a certain amount of funding into the ecosystem to fund the early adoption that's now translating into the private sector where we're seeing a lot of private funding turn up to continue the investment in in ev infrastructure but how can we actually make sure that what's actually happening on the ground is informing future policy as well 
the thing is, utilization data is obviously crown jewels. We as a CPO are very uh, protective of it. It's a, the deep insight of how the network performs. Mm. But we found a way to actually repurpose and extract enough value from that to make it useful for you know Bayes, DFT, the Green Financial Institute, and other partners. So I hope we're we're at the very beginning, but we're starting to get recognized as a business that is really trying to put something back as well that can inform our industry as a whole. But then, as I mentioned earlier, this kind of convergence with what does dwell at EV charge point mean for the transport sector and traffic management and you know how people move through geography as well. So there's, there's a lot of value to come, but we're at the early stages, I would say, of, yeah. of uncovering what those are. Yeah, 100%. What's the kind of, I guess, the the appetite within the automotive industry because we know there's been a lot you know there's been some first movers there's been some late movers i think every every we we speak to quite a lot of you know data and digital leaders within the automotive sector and everyone's got a different stance on when was the right time did we go too early did we go too late etc etc but i guess obviously being so close to the space i imagine that you've got some great kind of insight that these automotive companies would probably love to glean if they could. Yeah, and I'll I'll debadge the next bit because I don't want to end up in any hot water. But I think the Wild West is probably quite a strong term. But we definitely, <laughs> from a customer support perspective, have challenges with how vehicles behave on a charge point. Um, we we had one last winter. It's quite a cold last winter, and we found that a particular brand had um, a, a very high minimum level of amps just to keep the vehicle awake and heat its batteries before it would take a charge. Um, that meant we were we were ending a session. We weren't getting communication with the vehicle. We weren't able to enter a successful session. Um, and it was just that characteristic on that vehicle. I'd love to say that whole nameplate have the same strategy. They don't. Other vehicles they have in their own stable behave differently on a charge point. So I think you're right. I think it's early adopter. They've all they're all moving in a similar direction, but at different levels and different stages. I'm really excited about the user convenience that the coming standard uh, plug and charge or 15.11.8 offers. But right now, we're hearing all sorts of rumblings that the implementation has different versions, vehicles are at different level, and then from a customer experience, if you buy last year's model year Porsche Taycan, for example, that does or does not have the functionality, is that? A good customer experience that your your car's now missing out because you chose a time in the history of EV to buy buy in or buy that product. So I think again, CDOs everywhere have responsibility to make sure that 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 continuity between products exists and that we don't get stuck in you know hugely over complex system engineering that blocks a lot of a lot of users uh, from the latest technology. But it's a balance. You have to balance that with safety and you obviously have to balance that with security around that particular standard, which is what's creating a lot of the turbulence. But um, it's not it's not easy. It's not easy right now. It's a little bit like the Wild West. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, the, the the comment that you made there about, you know, choosing at this point in EV journey and time is is difficult, not only for consumers, but everyone involved, right? Because it's the, the maturity of the industry is is only so far, right? And I think if you think about the general automotive industry, right, you can pay a lot of money to get a really good vehicle and you can pay not a lot of money in comparison to get something that you expect less from, right? But I guess in the EV world, given um, the same principles apply, 
but obviously there's a maturity on how much better something else can be based on user experience, battery life, all that stuff, right? Because it's still kind of trying to mature with with the needs and requirements of the people that are buying it, no matter how much money they're willing to part with for it, right? Which is a, a correct really yeah. landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um so going back to you and your team then and kind of the plugging the data and digital piece into your business, I guess how and, and this is a you know a topic that fascinates me because we we see and hear the debate all the time, but we talk about kind of value and return on investment and and all of that type of stuff. So how do you ensure as the chief digital officer of Connected Curb that your team is is adding value and what does that look like for a business of your size within the sets that you're operating? Yeah, it's it's really important, and I I found myself before uh, yeah leading teams that I think move too far towards the tip of the spear, and maybe they get seen as the sort of the the vanity and and sort of future innovation. Um, so what I I've really focused on with Connected Curb is making sure that obviously all the team have some PNL sympathy, if not responsibility, ideally. Um, but it's also making sure that we're absolutely clear at a at a working level. I mean, in the daily stand-ups thinking about our company targets, targets that include uptime, uh, you know, is the network live and can people get that charge, that assurance of charge, utilization, what are we building that can actually improve utilization, obviously more kilowatts vended and monetized uh, creates greater revenue. So utilization is important. Um, And that's why we have the data science team we have to understand it. Ultimately, their goal is to understand how, uh, what is utilization and how can we influence it. So it's staying very, very close to the company goals, but then it's also building the right relationships internally in terms of you know technical roadmap, plotting out future in a collaborative way, making sure that a range of different skills and competencies in the business feel consulted and engaged. Um, so I, I, I always describe the, the role of the digital team as sort of threefold. You've got your core operations, which is a must-do. You cannot compromise. And that could be maybe you know, 50% of the team's time. We have to hit our numbers this year. We have to look after those company objectives. We have to maintain security, safety. We have to make sure the business thrives, basically. The second piece then is where are we stuck in our processes and what with with data or a digital solution can we optimize site selection we've spoken a bit about was very manual it's now a, a very digital and, and optimized faster experience and then you know you've got the future piece of what's the north star where are we headed what's the partnership landscape that needs to be ready when we arrive there of that what will we build or will we buy things um so i, I try to think about those sort of three um three sort of uh, slice of the pizza, if you will, uh, to make sure the team is absolutely embedded into the business. Yeah, nice. Obviously, you touched there very loosely on kind of the the data science component, which obviously um, in many organizations is geared towards kind of that future thinking, what's around the corner, what can we do now to get ahead of the curve and kind of gain some competitive advantage, I I, I guess. Um, What does that look like, though, I guess, in terms of the EV space as far as kind of how you uh, are operating in regards to the competition like well, what do you what do you think could be coming around the corner that you know might be advantageous yeah i think i think for us it's really we we spent quite a lot of time conditioning the business getting making sure we're in control of our data making sure that our infrastructure is is ready and usable and then with the with the growing data science team it's making sure that we are once we've got all of those inputs to make sure that we can repurpose them 
kind of as a data engineer role that we can repurpose them into the business to get them to the decision makers, um, building a you know, knowledge repository in the individuals uh, to inform decision making and trying to keep some oxygen then the true data science skills to tell us what we don't know, do the myth busting. Um, and I'm trying every month that we you know, send something internally, which is, you know, did, did you know, or you may be surprised to learn. One of the things I tease our CEO with is we talk very publicly about nighttime residential charging and people think that therefore your charging for 12, 18 hours or maybe the car's parked for some days. Most people are charging in our network for a lot less than that. And that's really interesting. Seven kilowatt charger, if you assume zero to 100%, needs a good few hours of connection. The reality is there is this kind of grazing and people are topping up all the time. They're not letting the car obviously go dead and charge back to 100, as you will know as a as a driver. So these little insights, these little nuggets that help tune a sales call, help inform a product strategy somewhere and really upskill the business as to how it's, how it's working. And then, as I mentioned, what's the pass-through of that team? And I'm trying to get them to be a little bit more external this year, going to those events, forming those external partnerships to understand how we can unlock further value in in that data. Mm, yeah, that's uh, yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, when we spoke offline, you used a term that grabbed my attention around the rise of the citizen developer, I think you called it, right? Just talk us talk us through that notion. Yeah, well, actually, and I, I was thinking about it. You had uh, Kelly Hume on from Beringa, and I, I, I don't know, but it's a conversation I'd love to sort of repeat with her as well. Um, we, I think, we both share a, a bit of a vision around, yeah, you know, getting data uh, well conditioned in a business that is usable for the maximum audience, you know, internally. And what I'm observing is that there are increasingly good technical skills in a lot more individuals. People are moving from Excel and exploring things like Power BI uh, to improve their their basic reporting. So that's very welcome. And I think a lot more needs to be done to improve that. But also the way the technology landscape is moving so fast that you, you don't need to be in the deep noughts and ones. There is likely you know, a software as a service you could buy if you could afford it and want to budget for it. Or through things like the Microsoft stack that we're a Microsoft business, um, you know, by sticking your colors onto Azure, the reach of the Microsoft Azure environment means you don't need to be a coder, but you can create the, you know, the flows, the power apps, uh, Power BI to build all of the insights and even productize so much. It may not be the most beautiful paid for design creative product. But if this is about exchanging insight and creating a knowledge base in the business and sharing data, it's extremely powerful. So the citizen developer is one for me that they may not be a coder of old, but they understand Power BI, they understand Azure, they could create a power app for themselves very, very quickly. I mean, at this point for me in, in data, YouTube's one of your biggest friends. There'll be a video of someone who's gone before. And you can very quickly spin up your own MVPs to deliver, you know, um the, the type of insight you were trying to get to. Not all of that will be production and customer ready, but it's likely enough for company IP and in a conditioning company with access to those new insights. And there's a few, I've, I've, I've got a couple of examples. I'll give you a couple of my trade secrets now. So there's two I'll shout out to. One is there's a guy on Twitter uh, called Shrigas Daffy, um, and he has a fantastic Twitter channel uh, all about building product teams, skills in products, and how that citizen developer role can can help. Um, so people should definitely check him out. Um, and also another shout out to Gary Thornton, my former colleague, Appy Way, who actually alerted me to Shrigas's feed some years ago. 
And then the other one is on uh, Instagram. It's an account called For Good Code. And um, I mean, they're just fascinating stories up there. The hacks, hints, tips, simple shortcut keys, which people don't know exist. Um, these are very, very you know, elementary uh, level skills. But if you just spend a bit of time, an hour a week, playing around with them, getting yourself familiar with them, I think people will recognize over six months, you can actually start your own citizen developer journey. And it's very accessible. That's what I love about technology. Um, You don't need the great academic brains. You don't need to have read the bulletproof textbooks that have gone before. You can kind of have a go. And uh, so there's two great accounts there. And there's plenty of services. I mean, um, yeah, I won't name any on the call, but as I said, there's so many fantastic software offerings out there now that can help you start that journey. And the licenses aren't prohibitive. Anybody with a Microsoft 365 account has Power BI. Get onto it, learn it, start start exploring your your data with it. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Um, obviously, one of the challenges that we often talk about on this podcast, um, with regards to adoption, is just get you know getting the business and the people within the business to want to to do this stuff first and foremost right so we're always talking about it's a, a, a at your level i guess ben and the the peers that have been on the podcast it's often about you know changing and transforming the way a business operates and the mindset and behaviors within it now i guess um quite possibly because the size of the business and the fact that it's only six years old that might give you an advantage in that you know you're not trying to change legacy behaviors right but does the environment matter around things like culture and adoption and literacy for that citizen developer role to thrive yes i i think it really does and the the perception always around a startup is they can move very quickly they can design entirely their their own destiny they don't have those legacy systems any business the moment you productize and win your first clients ends up having to cool off on that real agile development um and that's something all companies experience you certainly lose a, a bit of innovation uh, momentum while you create success for the clients which is the right thing to do but that's where a lot of these big businesses have not had the time to go back and completely re-architect some of their legacy systems because they're thriving businesses. You know, they have huge revenues flowing through them. And of course, that's changed. Look at all the disruption in the last 10 years through the finance industry, even some of the more techie firms. You know, um, I did knowledge share this week on you know, Netflix and HelloFresh. The, the, the way they reacted to their businesses, invested in the data science side of it and came out firing with lots of new insights. Um, it is possible to do, but I also think the stereotype is true. I am far happier as a human in a smaller startup, agile uh, software environment than something older, well-proven, very, very robust, but perhaps um, you know a, a legacy system that's very hard to change. And I think also in the environment is when you're a startup, you don't have those traditional silos. Certainly, you know, in the early form of my career, the ICT department, ideally you kept in the cupboard. <laughs> um, and actually now that is changing. And again, it's seeing ICT really embed itself into the customer proposition and all areas in the business. So um, I think you're starting to see that, that change and that acceptance as well. And then I think there's a bit of fear. I still hear the word magic and wizard used on regular calls. And that's not true. You know, that it's, just spend a bit of time to understand it. And I think there's a lot of, I think there's huge accessibility now in in um, the, the current technology base that we enjoy. 
at the very, very beginning of the internet. I mean, where we'll be in a hundred years probably terrifies me and I won't be around to see it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here, here. Um, so one thing I do want to touch on and very similar to the kind of the whole cultural piece that we've just discussed there a little bit, but um, the kind of benefits and then maybe challenges of working in a startup environment when it comes to data. Because if I think about you know, all the conversations we have on this podcast, all the conversations we have through our our events, um, all the conversations we have through our day job, you know, th- there's been a, a very clear trend that many businesses have jumped feet first into this data thing, probably at the wrong point in time with the wrong activities, right? You know, trying to do an AI project before you even know where your data is or how accessible it is or how how clean it is or whatever the case may be, which obviously in a startup environment, it's easier to get your hands around that and do things right first time around. Hence, you know, you talked about the the banking analogy, which, you know, the, the digital banks have have proven that to be the case, right, in terms of the way they operate. But just talk us through, I guess, the the role that the environment has on how you think about data in terms of how it comes in and then how it's used and, you know, what some of the challenges and benefits are of, of that. Yes, I think I think you're spot on. I think the thing I, I really enjoy in the, the the startup and SME world is getting thinking about your processes again from from scratch, with you know lots of grey hairs coming together from the industry to really think about what the latest and best practice, best governance is. So you you, you don't have a burden of legacy or huge change management, huge migration on an estate. You can really think about that that, that conditioning and the governance. Uh, of, of the data and the processes for success. And then I think the the next thing for me is once you've got the sort of the condition of your data and the governance around it is the ability to really embed the customer and the customer journey, the use cases, the epics you're trying to build on at all levels in that journey. Um, so again, rather than just having sort of an ICT department in a cupboard or you know, a pizza team of developers that perhaps are a little bit removed from the customer. Uh, I'm really trying to make sure that we have those skills or that customer representation um, everywhere in the business. So our, our data science team talk very much around user stories, the company objectives, and as I mentioned, utilization, because they're trying to understand how, how is the customer behaving, what is it they're trying to achieve, and therefore what's the data telling us. That gives us the best results with that. A sort of company objective, company goal, and customer in mind. Everyone is then on a common common narrative. So you've got well conditioned data in a good governance environment, but with lots of agility and you know far you can move very very quickly, knowing that at an individual level, um, and I mean the, the humans in the loop, that the customer is going to be cared for first. Um, and that's something we I think we've done very very well at Connected Curb. I'm, I'm sort of I'm very proud of what we we're just starting in in the digital team with that in mind but it's come from getting a sophisticated data environment established we've chosen microsoft as i said getting that structured in a way that is uh, very usable and ready for scale importantly and of course it's safe secure all those hygiene factors are built in we're still settling on the best governance progress to keep that agility but make sure that we're starting to look and feel like national infrastructure we're ready to talk to gchq when we we need to and bear in mind the scale of these sockets we will need to have these conversations um this isn't you know this isn't just for fun as it were this is a very serious infrastructure play um 
And then, as I mentioned, there's the oxygen around the future innovation. What else could we be doing? But it starts with that that conditioning, that governance layer. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. I guess <clears throat> you, you, talk, you talked about earlier on, you know, the the opportunity to maybe product productize some of these kind of data sets that you've got and 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 monetize out of that. And obviously there's a, a lot of talk constantly in the industry around, you know, the monetization of data and there's the internal usage of it, right? Where there's some really big use cases that have, have been before us. Um, but still a lot of organizations thinking we could probably productize something here. I'm just keen, kind of keen to get your thoughts on what best practice possibly looks like given you're in an environment where it's probably um you know it's going to be accessible for you to do that at some point when you in the business decide that's right but how how do you you know what i guess what should people be thinking about if they want to productize a data set to to try and monetize it in the future yeah it's i suppose i suppose the fun thing to say is don't don't overvalue yourself too early um <laughs> because you've got to settle on what the what the product and the customer narrative is first and i've seen some some fabulous data plays come to market that fail to find their customers you know and and i think a lot of vc capital is probably consumed in that that pursuit of um well they, of course they'll love it and they don't they don't turn up so um i think getting that getting that customer narrative is absolutely key um it's a it's quite a challenge for us actually is to make sure that we understand enough about what the adoption curve is ev so we see early adopters a lot of tech you know the male pale stale cohort adopting you're welcome <laughs> but what, what does mass adoption look like what are they going to care about which is why i talk about price parity assurance of charge where is this equipment those kind of things so i think i always go back to just the sort of base product skill around being really clear user stories packaging those up into hopefully as few epics as possible and then making sure that the team have enough oxygen to be able to think about you know the the, the business case and lots of transparency on the cost. It's very easy to go and buy an awful lot of SaaS services and help you build a product, but you end up in an environment where your your licenses won't scale, you know, as that goes to market. So it's really thinking about your your cost base as well and always trying to optimize that. Um and I think if you can get a blend there, I, I don't have a secret source, so you know, switch off if you were hoping for that. <laughs> but uh I think there's definitely that blend. Clear it's a bit of a stereotype. But the, the the clear customer journey embedded at all levels in the business and then being very cost conscious and, and unlocking the real value from what you have in the data that's clear for the customer um that's where i would be heading nice a couple of things to finish then so we often in on this podcast and across the industry as a whole talk in great depth about the role of you know the chief data or chief digital officer or whatever the case may be and the expectations of those roles now obviously the, the challenge with that is that not first of all not all roles are created equally and the environments in which they exist differ massively which also then have a knock-on effect on the expectations right so i guess as someone that's worked for very large businesses and startup you know what relationship does the context of the environment have in relation to the role and therefore the expectation of what you're doing yeah i think it's a a really good question in my, in my own experience connected curb there's there's a reason connected curb didn't didn't start with a cdo right they, they, they recognized they were hardware infrastructure had a great product at a price point that would work for the public sector it is 
then the business scales and reaches a certain level of um, you know, sockets under management, certain level of scale, certain level of investment to say, well, how do we condition the software estate around this to improve it? And then from that, what can we learn and create a digital proposition? So for me in my role, the CDO role exists at Connected Care because of the volume of sockets that have been won and now installed. It makes sense to start thinking about the software proposition. In a way that I think, you know, other pure software EV operators will need to address because there are probably, I don't know, 50, 60 startups going to be founded this year in the EV space just with software. Our view is, is we have a software role because we own the hardware and we can you know, own the, access- the software accessibility to partners there. So we need to con- condition our software side of the business. So that is very environmental. It depends on the business hitting a certain level of scale having the ambition and the foresight to start investing in the digital space. And then I, yeah, really privileged just in that timing to be be around and and, and lucky enough to come and sit in the hot seat. So I think I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for the environment presented to me and and the great backing that we have to go and do some interesting things uh, with Connected Curb. Nice. Well, where I want to finish, Ben, is just to get your kind of thoughts um, around kind of the future, right? So what, what you're expecting in terms of, the future of the the EV sector more generally, what it's going to look like for connected curb, and you know the trends that might be kind of flowing through through the uh, the sector over the next kind of twelve to eighteen months. Yeah, so I think I think for me it is now that that real adoption. I think we've you know local authorities um, hopefully by now all have a, an EV strategy that wasn't true even maybe twenty four months ago. Um, there's a great amount of funding that obviously continues to come from government. And I'm seeing that now match more and more by private sector funding. I think that's probably the, the biggest it's ever been and will continue to grow. So with all of those, those environmental conditions coming together, I think we're going to see uh, bids, you know, bid volumes go up deployments go up uh, and then the continued adoption of the user base we, we see some fantastic stats about sort of ev continuing uh, to outpace new sales and things like that so um i'm, I'm really excited about the, the the adoption curve over the next 18 months i think for me over the next five years what do i worry about as a cdo is making sure that the network is on and uptime is maintained making sure that it's secure and particularly getting ready in sort of energy management, that price parity I was saying at the start, that we can offer a, a, a fair, accessible and affordable charge uh, to people, you know, on street, off street, and hopefully in a blended condition as well. Uh, again, all centered around the convenience of, uh, of of charging. If we crack convenience, I think we can all relax and enjoy the scale and the, the coming revolution if we don't crack the convenience, there will always be the headlines that try to uh, create noise uh, around around the uh, the benefits of, of transitioning to EV. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, Ben, look, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, we appreciate your, your time. And yeah, we look forward to seeing how the rest of the Connected Curb journey unfolds. And we'll speak to you soon. Well, thank you very much for having me, Carlo. It's a friend of the show and great listener. So thank you for having me on. It's a real privilege. Yeah. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free 
to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.